This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. This week on the show, George Gregan, the former captain of the Wallabies and the most test cap player for Australia, entrepreneur with GG's Cafe and ptpfit.com. Our second guest, Gus Wallen, a television and radio host and the producer of An Aussie Goes Bolly, An Aussie Goes Barmy and An Aussie Goes Calypso. He's also the founder of the Men's Health Foundation, Gotcha for Life. This is our first virtual lunch with Lee, so come join us. Firstly, welcome to the show. Our first guest on the show today, George Gregan. Listen to these stats. 139 tests, 59 as captain, the most capped player for Australia. He represented the Brundies from 96 to 2007 with 136 caps and led them to victory in 2001 and 2004. He's a former opening batsman with the ACT under-17s and under-19s, and we'll talk about that later. But he's a good mate of mine. Georgie Gregan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Meadow, as we used to call you, mate. Good boy, mate. And and our second guest, <laughs> Gus Wallen, who's a, a television and radio personality. He spent the last 10 years getting up at 4am to host Triple M's Grill Team with Matty Johns and Mark Geyer. And he's produced and starred in TV shows called An Aussie Goes Bolly, Barmy and Calypso. And he's the founder of a men's health foundation called Gotcha for Life. And he's probably the biggest sports nut in town. Gus Wallen, welcome to the show as well. Thanks, Shane. And g'day, George. I reckon I've watched every second of your rugby career as well as your career career Shane so uh yeah I love it boys it's a it's a privilege to be on with you and how's everyone traveling with this coronavirus at the moment uh well certainly from my my point of view it's been um you know a real pivot in terms of trying to get our uh foundation up and running virtually um making sure Sure. the programs are going out because I think people need this more than ever now I, I talk about mental fitness rather than mental health and I reckon everyone's mental fitness at the moment's been really challenged. So uh, it's been a big pivot for us to turn all our programs, which are normally face to face in sports clubs and schools and so forth, and yeah. turn them into yeah. a virtual program. So that's been challenging. Um, it's been great having the family all with us, and we're having dinners at the table now, and we're connecting like we've never connected before. And mm. I still get dead set legends at Triple M. We're still going in. Um, slightly different rules around where we can sit and stuff in the studio, but you know it's nice to have that balance to go out and chat to uh, you know Dell and um, Jude <laughs> Bolton every week for a couple of hours just to break up the other stuff. And George, you've got a business ptpfit.com as a fitness business. That must be going off at the moment, is it? Yeah, it has. We sort of got two two sides to that chain. we've had obviously with the coffee shops and food and beverage, but like a lot of businesses, we've had to. We've had to shut down and, and, and lay off staff just because of what, what's transpired. It requires people and, and people having to obviously stay isolated and the social distancing doesn't fit in well for those businesses. So there's been some pain around that. But from a fitness perspective, and like you talk about mental fitness, just physical mm. fitness too, we've just been blown away with the online sales for PTP Fit. We were pretty much our warehouse. I was in there yesterday with the team packing orders and, wow. and, and, and telling people refund or giving information we've sold out. So that's been wonderful, but it's great to see people actually uh, incorporating that aspect into their lives, even though they can't normally go to say, you know, it could be their group training, be it F45 or yeah. whatever it is, fitness first, they're able to take it in home and we've been able to support them, which has been good. It's been really good for us. And, and Gus, your foundation got you for life. What, what does that mainly focus on? Well, I did a program on the ABC going back about three and a half years now, and it challenged masculinity in this country and why we lose so many 
blokes to suicide every day. Mm. It's still the number one way to die if you're a young Australian male aged between 15 and 44. So just sit in that stat just for a moment. Yeah. The number one way to die if you're a young Aussie bloke is suicide. So we're not doing something right. So we need to do something a bit different. So I challenged masculinity. I went on a bit of a journey on why I lost a friend of mine who I thought was pretty much bulletproof, seemed to tick all the boxes, just a champion man. I just loved him. My father had left the family home when I was quite young and I looked up to this guy. He's about 10 years older than me and uh, he took his own life. And in fact, when I found out about it, I went to the police. I didn't think um, it was possible for someone who seemed to have it all to take his own life. I thought there must be some sort of suspicious circumstances. But then I realised, of course, that that's not the case. And Man Up really challenged masculinity. And I went on this journey to, to work out why us Aussie blokes tend to bury our emotions and we you don't do. tend to be very vulnerable. We don't tend to be very open and honest about how we, how we feel about things. So I decided then, because I had such a great audience at Triple M of blokes, I decided to, to do Man Up and then do a foundation called Gotcha for Life. And I want every bloke to feel as if they've got someone who has got them for life, a warts and all type yeah, relationship where they love you with no judgment and they are there for you even when you're talking about the most trickiest, most vulnerable thing. I think Aussie blokes are great at talking about sport and jobs and mucking around and, yeah. you know, we're, we're terrific. But we do struggle when it comes to truly emotional stuff, stuff that it makes us uncomfortable to talk about. And we've never been taught the emotional muscle to be able to have that conversation. So I'm supporting any program out there that does exactly that and, We've been going just over three years. We've pumped nearly $4 million into various programs and my Brilliant. life now for the rest of my life is to literally put my hand out like Oliver and just ask for money from people who want to support it and get the Aussie male realising it's okay not to be okay and it's all right to take the mask off, at least with someone. So you talk about your feelings and we don't bury them the way that perhaps we've done them in the past. Yeah, it's 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 a scary thing and, and I think I'm... One of the things we're trying to do with lunch with Lee is, is really to talk about this sort of stuff. And I think men really self-diagnose a lot too. And and George, you, you would have seen this in your rugby career, particularly. You now, um, yeah. I, I got to unfortunately, or fortunately, got to meet Dan Vickerman before he, he took his own life. That, that would have mm. been tough for the rugby community. Yeah, it was. Like that's an example of it. He was a he was a young man, and similar to what Gus was saying, you know, had a beautiful young family, wonderful wife in Sarah, who, who's obviously continues on with a lovely family. Um, and it was a real, real shock to everyone who spent time, uh, with Dan. Like I remember seeing Dan coming down to the Brumbies as a young man. I think he came down around the same time as Georgie Smith and, and a guy called, uh, uh, and Hass and, um, <laughs> called David Hasselhoff and, um, and, and <laughs> Adam Fryer. We called him Hass. I was, he just goes straight into nicknames because he always had his shirt off. We thought he was like the night rider, but, um, <laughs> so, but they came down and, and like everything, like I think it's interesting, you know, what you're doing, Gus, which is fantastic, but you know, you, you need to be able to speak. You need to be able to be vulnerable. But that was an environment where you would have gone through it too. I think Shane, like as a young guy going into sporting team, like it was always, there was always that, uh, that you had to earn your stripes, so to speak. But what was interesting too down the Brumbies at that stage is we, we encouraged, the young guys to speak up and, and feel as though they could. Mm. Um, and that was one thing Vix was really good at. 
he would. He'd speak his mind. Sometimes he'd, he'd, <laughs> he'd speak his mind. He was he was he was an emotional guy and he's an emotional player, which was which is a really good thing. But you just have to manage that. But um, I think the big thing you can do that in a sporting environment. But I think once sports taken away, that's a big thing for athletes. I think male and female. Yeah. Once you lose that that consistency, and I guess there's a real you'd know about it too, Shana. There's a real there's a there's a real structure to what you do. You kind of know what your year or your months ahead look like. You do. As soon as that finishes, yeah, you, you sort of got to you got to get back. You got to find that discipline. You're talking about a, a mental sort of um, yeah fitness. There's there's that discipline that you need to, which you take for granted when you're in a sporting team. But you need to to maintain that through life. So I think that's a big adjustment which doesn't get spoken about enough. It's mm. it's being spoken more and more about in a lot of sports. I know. I do some stuff with, um, it's, well, it's world rugby. There's a, and there's a, there's a group called the, the Centurions, and, and that where people have played over 100 Test matches. And, and one of the big things we had a bit of a, a, a session on it a couple of years ago, just talking about what are some of the big key areas we want need to focus on, which we can message around rugby and, and, and really support. And the big thing was the transition, and I think that's a huge part of it, um, which could really help a lot of people. Yes, it's really, really important. I think, talking about nicknames, George, um, we first met, I think, playing <laughs> playing cricket, uh, New South Wales versus the ACT, under-17s in Canberra. And then mm. a uh, wicketkeeper that we had called Corey Pearson, who was a ended up becoming a front rower for the Tigers and, and St. George, gave you a nickname. Do you remember what that was? Yes, he did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it took about oh, – oh, you remember this day probably – I think you might remember it pretty vividly. We were at Kingston Oval in Canberra. So anyone who, who's been to Canberra, it's not far from Monica and it's always a very good deck to bat on. It's very flat. It's very hard for a bowler. Yes, we played was. a two-day game <laughs> against New South Wales 17s about three weeks before the 17s championship. I think we were played in Adelaide. So it was a good warm-up game. As usual, New South Wales went out there and made about two for like 400 <laughs> in the heat and we batted the next day and our coach said whatever we do we need them to bat they, they need to bowl for 100 overs forget about the score we're not chasing the 400 we probably won't get it but they need to stay out there for 100 so don't just just occupy the crease George so I, I followed the good instructions I'm quite coachable <laughs> and so I stayed out there for about five hours I think it took it nearly five hours to get 50 runs that's how well I was batting and it was a road it was like you, you just couldn't bet, bat on a better deck like the ball just went straight up and down. It went a bit quick, but it was there was no movement. It was such an easy place to bat. But I just occupied the crease, and I think about the fourth hour in, <laughs> Corey Pearson. <laughs> I'm facing Shane, and he missed, missed the outside edge many times in the first session and kept doing that big long run. His hand would go through his hair, and he'd be giving me the stare and everything. And I'm just going, okay, mate, it was too good. I'm not that good to edge that. You've got to bowl a little bit straighter and don't move it as much when I might hit it. <laughs> and then, and then, so they throw the spinners on after lunch or whatever it is, and Corey Pearson's up at the stumps and he looks at my pads. He says, mate, look at your pads. He says, hey, boys, boys, like an obviously Meadow and all the gang are sort of around the bat because I actually, they probably had about six round the bat like the ball was spinning sideways, but it wasn't. It was just going straight up and down. <laughs> but I was hitting no shots. And he's gone, mate, that, are they Harrow pads? He says, are they Harrow pads? He was calling me George at that stage. Are they Harrow pads? And he says, hey, boys, he says, 
George is wearing harrow pads. He hasn't even grown into Mets pads. Is that right, Webster? <laughs> then Webster came out, and I've been copping lip from like right from the first ball. I turned around. I said, "That's pretty good, mate." I said, "I, I said I had to, I couldn't face up to the ball." I said, "That's really good." So Webster stuck ever since, and I and I and I defended myself. I said, "Mate, they're men's pads." He says, "No, they're not Webster. They're harrow pads." <laughs> so that was that was a really tough day. I remember. I think we. I think. Your team only got about 77 the whole day. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll take a quick break now. We'll be back after lunch on Lunch with Lee. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch with Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of Amazing Craft Gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. You're, you're a big Roosters fan, Gus? I'm actually a Roosters fan and a Brumbies fan. I, I, oh, when all Gus. my mates, I went to Knox, which was a big rugby school, but, and everyone was going for the Waratahs. But for some reason, I just felt that the Brumbies knew fresh club and they seemed to have a really good team and it seemed to be a lot of blokes that were sort of cobbled together that perhaps some of the bigger, in inverted commas, Queensland and New South Wales didn't want. And I thought, I'm going for these blokes. And um, yeah. I ended yeah. up having the most fantastic time watching George and Larkham and all the boys do their do their stuff for over a decade. And still to this day, I still think they're the most successful super rugby side in Australia. And it's one of those venues that no one wants to go down to. They played great rugby and it must be amazing to look back on that George and and just see the grandstand now with you and Larkham's names on it it's um it was it was so successful wasn't it yeah we had a great run and you're right it was a, it was a bit of a team which we had obviously qu- quite a number of the local talent we had some really talented players in Canberra but prior to super rugby if they wanted to go to that next stage of their career they had to go to New South Wales or Queensland. Maybe in a bit like cricket. Remember, Moose had to come up and he played Mossman and he yep. played for Campbelltown. You had to leave Canberra if you wanted to try and get to that next level. So by playing in Super Rugby, it gave a great opportunity for the local talent like the Steve Larkhams, the Roffies, myself and others. And then it also, and Rod Kafer is another example of that, um, Justin Harrison, but also gave opportunities for players who may have missed out for whatever reason. Not necessarily because they weren't good players, but you, sometimes you miss out on selection for other reasons. So your Owen Finnegan's, your James Holbeck's, your Adam Magro's, David Giffen, wonderful. But they became great Wallaby players. They came down and we all had not a chip on our shoulder, but it was like, you know what, we, we, we set a pretty audacious goal. We wanted to be the best attacking team in the comp because we felt we had a really good skill set. Like Pat Howard was down there. He'd played for the Reds. And he also played for the, the Wallabies in 1993. So mm. we had some good players and we had 
a really good attitude to how we wanted to play, and that was sort of galvanised by Rod McQueen, and we just had a crack. It was like we've got no history, we've got no baggage. Let's let's create our own history, and that was our attitude. And we played we played that way. And sometimes it was to our detriment in the first few years when we could have probably played a bit smarter and actually played the more conservative option of maybe kicking and going for field goals or taking. But we just backed ourselves, and that was kind of the hallmark of that team and our success. Um, but you talk about that grandstand. Joe Roth's still filthy that he hasn't got a statue. He says, Mal Meninga's got a statue. He says, Laurie Daly says, what about Roffy? I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the captain of the people. I've got to say, Joe, Joe Roth, he just never played a poor game. He was so good. And in playing for the Wallabies against the Lions, against mm. the high, at the highest possible level, he always played so well. And one of the world's nicest blokes as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he is. He's just a fantastic guy. And one of the funniest guys too, like a really dry sense, like really, really funny I and um, self-deprecating. I had a great chat with Mrs. Larkin watching uh, a few years after you guys would retire. I went down there and did like a, like a half an hour chat to the Brumbies supporters before a Brumbies game on a Friday night down in Canberra. And I got myself next to Mrs. Larkin and I chatted away and he was in Japan at the time playing. Yeah. And I said, how's he going over there and stuff? And she goes, he hasn't had to make a tackle yet. And that was about <laughs> a season and a half into his career. And she goes, he is literally loving it so much. He's ha- having not doing anything except getting paid awful a good, a <laughs> chunk of money and stuff. So I always loved that. That family spirit, the fact that Mrs. Larkin was there, even though her son had moved on to Canberra, she was the one that was invited back to be part of the part of the night on a Friday night. It, it seemed to have a really lovely spirit. Yeah, it's true. It certainly was a family club. And, and the parents, I think the parents had the biggest letdowns once you, you moved on. It really was the case. They were a really tight-knit crew. Hey, um, if David do do a, uh, a statue of, of Rafi George, it'll, it'll probably move about the same pace, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys, I want to ask you a quick question around um, to George. You've been, I consider, one of the most, uh, an, an ultimate sporting professional and and Gussie, you're you're the, the ultimate um, connoisseur and, and fanatic of sport. I want to ask you both the same question. But what do you think makes a good leader, George? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a good leader actually they, they pick their moments when they need to get up. Everyone thinks often it's about you know, giving these Churchillian speeches, and and it's less about that, and it's more about just their action and their consistency of what they do. And there's a real there's a real caring of the people around them, so they really understand the people that they're around um, and there's that deep, deep understanding of what makes people tick and what motivates them. Um, like the word IQ, EQ, their EQ is good. That's what I found. The leaders who are really, I, I learned a lot from and, and I really respected, had a real good understanding of everyone who was part of what they were trying to achieve, which I think is really, really important. And Gussie? Yeah, I would certainly agree, obviously, with everything that, that George has said there. But as a fan's point of view, the captains that I remember and love, are, you know, growing up, the Alan Borders of this world, yeah. that sort of toughness yeah. and so forth. But I've spoken to AB many times since and spoke to him for an hour and a half on the Cricket Tragic, which unfortunately had to be chopped down to only nine minutes. But he and I chatted at Alan Border Field and he talks about his leadership and how poor he thought he was at times and how he completely misjudged situations and he thought, well, why can't players just do what I do? Get out there and bat, bat, bat or do their bloody job properly under pressure. And it took him a long time for him to realise that, you know, players weren't as good as him and he had to manage them all individually. And 
Um, that's what I loved about him was the fact that he was able to change his ways to become the captain he ended up being. And then you look at someone like a Boyd Cordner now, who I've got to know really well at the Roosters, and yeah. you know he's not going to yeah. give you that Churchillian speech like George just said, but his actions will prove that he'll be the first person there to make the tackle. He'll be the one that make the hard run out of out of defence. He'll be the one that's there in the 80th minute like he is in his first. So I, I sort of I, I admire and love leaders for all different ways, but the ones that, I, that tend to stand out are the ones that lead by example. example. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. And there's an old saying, um, find a hobby, make it your job, and you'll never work another day in your life. So, Gussie, when you come up, you come up with the idea about an Aussie goes Bolly, an Aussie goes Barmy, an Aussie goes Calypso, going on tour and watching sport, genius. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest roar of all time. It really was. I'd love to tell you just quickly that a moment, like Jacko, Hugh Jackman and I were at the Lord's Test Match 2005, day four, we're about to wrap it all up, and Ricky Ponting's uh, PA had Jacko's mobile number. So she rang and said, oh, Ricky would love you to come up and give the boys a bit, of a, a bit of a thrill if you're in the sheds when we come in after play today. So Jack, I said, what do you reckon? I said, mate, let's go. How good will this be? So we went up there and it was a mutual <laughs> love in. All the players loved him. He loved them. He couldn't believe that they knew who he was and, and vice versa. He was taking phone calls from players' wives that couldn't believe that he actually was in the dressing room. He was chatting to them. He was leaving people's um, answering machine messages. We had the best time. Actually, Stewie McGill was on fire that day. And he was the 12th man and he was giving us all the grog that we needed. And we walked out of that place about two and a half hours later out of the Lord's dressing room with a cricket bat each from Matty Hayden, a big grey nick bat. And we're shadow boxing down at the ground, around the roads, around Lord's. We get in this flash car that Jacko has, pick us up. And we just said, the Australian public need to have some sort of understanding of what we've just been through. How can we do it? And he said, well, let's put our thinking cap together. And I said, well, I've been selling laptop computers since I was 23. I'm 38 now. I don't want to be doing it when I'm 40. Let's see if we can come up with something. And that was really the rot started right there. <laughs> and by the time I was 39, we had done an Aussie Goes Barmy. We then did an Aussie Goes Bolly. Then we did an Aussie Goes Calypso. And then I'm in promoting an Aussie Goes Calypso in at Triple M in Melbourne. And the boss of Triple M... In nationally was in a cab between the airport and the station and he stayed in the cab for the end of the story. Um, and this is a story of me walking to the bathroom with Viv Richards and, and just having, having to try to look down and have a glance at what Viv had to offer but not be caught at the same time because I never thought I'd have an opportunity to see what Viv, how Viv was hung. So <laughs> I was telling this story... And the, and the boss stayed in the cab and he came up to me afterwards and said, we need a new show in Sydney, Breakfast. Would you like to give it a crack? And I'd never done radio before. And like you said in the intro, that was, you know, 2,600-odd shows and 11 years later. And now I still really haven't worked again. It's, I've been so lucky. And people said, without Hugh Jackman, you wouldn't have had a career. And it's absolutely right. He gave me the opening anyway. I, I then was able to put my foot in the door and, and, and stay there. But... Sometimes you just need that little bit of luck, someone who's going to back you and support you, and uh, you know, I'll, and I'll never forget that. Can you dance as well as him, Gus? No. Uh, <laughs> when we were just starting to try to find girls and stuff, we went to the Sydney Dance Company when we were about 18, 19, and Jacko was at UTS and I was at Sydney Tech, so we were there at Ultimo. 
So we'd go and have a dance that night to try to pick up the chicks. Well, we both started front row and then the music teacher very kindly would sort of just bump me to the next row and then before you knew it, about four weeks in, they said, oh, Gus, I don't think it's really for you. Um, and I was never sort of invited back. But Jacko was straight to the top of the class and, of course, he's, um, his life has gone through the roof but he's still as lovely and as modest as he ever was, still works extremely hard and you couldn't get a nicer, a nicer yeah, person. He's, um, he deserves every success. Sure is. And, George, um, we've got a lot of dads listening to this show. If they've got a talented young sportsman, what, what advice would you give both to the talented young sports person and the father? Yeah. Well, I think you said it earlier, Shane, about um, it's a hobby, enjoy it. I think as soon yeah. as you start getting too far ahead and an external pressure's beat from parents, so as a parent, don't push your kid too much because they'll end up not enjoying the sport that they've grown up you know, be it cricket or be it sport, playing in the backyard, going down the oval, playing with their mates. Then they play a bit with school, they play at their club and they really, really enjoy it. They might have some success and they might show some talent. And and that will take care of itself in terms of people identifying it. But as soon as you lose, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about it, as soon as you lose that enjoyment for, for the sport that you grew up and you love playing and it starts becoming like a job, then yeah. you, you lose that sort of you lose that mojo, and I, and I think it becomes a grind, and you don't want it to become a grind as a youngster. And as a kid, just keep enjoying it and keep working on your skills. One thing you can always work on, you can dream. You should always be dreaming. I, I wanted to play, <laughs> I wanted to play for the Australian cricket team. I wanted a baggy green. I didn't get a baggy green, but but it didn't stop me daring to try and dream and work really really hard. And the thing you could always work really hard on in all sports is just your basic fundamental skills. Yeah. And sometimes you get it right when you go out and compete. Sometimes you get it wrong. But it just – and I really enjoyed that. I, that's what I did love about cricket. I did love that there's always something – it's a bit like golf. There's always something to work on. And you might be hitting it like a gorilla in the nets. And then yeah. you go out in the middle and you get one good nut and you're out and you go, fire it. And then all of a sudden you, you have one one run. You have a, you have, a, have an innings or something whereby, you, you know, you didn't start too well, but you hung in there. You got through that, you got through that initial grind. And then it just becomes fun. And then you're having a great day out and, and you enjoy that aspect of sport. And that doesn't matter what level you play at. That could be playing for 100%. your club, playing for your school or playing playing for your country. I think that's really, really important. So it's important to dream big as a kid, but just always remember to enjoy it and keep working on your little skills because those little skills will get you to the top. They're the things which hold you in good stead. I couldn't agree more. It reminds me of um, uh, probably my favourite sporting story of all time. It was involved you, George. It was a... It was a game of cricket at Mossman Oval, a little fundraiser. Um, <laughs> it, it was a Shane Lee 11 versus, I think, Stu McGill captain the other team. Yes. And a good mate of mine, his son, Ben, Ben Sutton. Um, ben, Benny uh, has recently played with the Pararoos in soccer. He's done really well, but he's born with um, pretty bad cerebral palsy. And he was given the new ball by Stuart McGill. And opening the batting for my team was, was George Gregan. And uh, Georgie had been down the nets practicing, I reckon, for about two weeks. <laughs> and ben had, never, ben had never held an actual cricket ball in his hand before, like a proper brand-new ball. <laughs> and having cerebral palsy, he was very, very excited. So he, he steamed into George, and the first ball sort of did come out of his hand right and sort of rolled off for a wide. Um, George then next ball charged Ben, and Ben bowled the perfect donkey drop, which went over George Gregan's little head. And landed on his stumps, and George was waiting for oh. the umpire, umpire to call it a no ball. And Ben said to him, "Fuck off!" <laughs> was, he did. He a, gave it, him it a send was, off. It was a test wicket, yeah. So then I was next in to bat, and I hadn't batted for about five years at this stage. And and Ben now is at the top of his mark, ready to yeah. take take his second international wicket for the day. 
And as I took centre, I um, took my helmet off because it was, it was Stuart McGill's actual helmet. It was too big. And I threw it to the wicketkeeper to Phil Emery. Mm-hmm. And Ben said to me, I wouldn't be bloody taking that off, mate. I thought, you little <laughs> shit, he's got one wicket here. Anyway, so he seen me and I was quite nervous and I thought, I can't let this kid get me out. So I hit it for one. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the game, I said to Ben, you really wanted my wicket, didn't you? He said, mate, I did. I said, well, well done today. You got Gregan out. He goes, where is he? I said, he's probably back down the nets practising, mate. Well done, mate. <laughs> You know, witness that too. Of all people, I didn't need to be witnessing that. Was a guy called Jason Little. I played lots of rugby with Jason. His son's a really good cricketer, and he was there throwing balls. And he, oh, every time I see him, he brings up that moment. <laughs> so do you, but it's pretty bad as well. I do have a story. Yeah, he, he still talks about it too. But he, he made the Pararoos team, Benny Sutton. So he was, he was really, uh, was really impressed with that. Yeah, it's really good, good on him. Well done. Yeah, we sent a nice message to him. You organised that, which was great. A real yes, great it, achievement. Awesome. Yeah, it, it was, mate. And um, and Gus, what does a sports nut do when there's no sport on? Yeah, it's difficult. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know, Wendell and myself and Jude Bolton doing Dead Set Legends on a Saturday. We have, we've done six shows, and far four of them haven't had any live sport at all, except a bit of racing. So we've gone back to you know, 2020 has been a shocking year. We'd put, love to put a line through it. So let's go back to a year that you loved and tell us yeah. a game in that yeah. year or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, all the games are being cancelled. Is there a game that you played in um, that you wished was cancelled before you played it? Now, those type of things and opening those type of things up to callers, asking for the best sports doco they've ever watched or the best sports movie, yeah. you know, that's sort of 10 minutes of content there. You put some ads in and some couple of songs and stuff and you, you cobble together a show. But... It's certainly getting more and more difficult. It's. I said to the boys the other day, this is turning into like a mini grill team. Um, mm. This is turning mm. into more of a breakfast show than a sports show. It's more of an entertainment show now. And we need to just look at everything in our lives as being content now. And, yep. you know, if you get home and your, your son is watching Gossip Girl, well, that's funny. So mention that in the <laughs> WhatsApp group and then I might mention what my kids are watching and then someone out there might go, oh, my kids are doing the same thing. And... People are interested in the same things. We're going through the same things at the moment. So we are just doing our best. But, of course, I love the 30 for 30s. I love all the sports docos. And, of course, watching the other day, Adam Scott win the, you know, they had the last nine holes of the the Masters. I mean, you can't watch that enough. Um, I'm still sitting there going, please, please, sink the putt. Sink the putt. You know, (laughs) you're still worrying that he's going to miss out. But, um you know, you just do your best. But to be honest with you, boys, um, I've never been more connected to my family. I'm watching yeah, them right nice. now. My wife, my nephew from England and my son are, are doing a thousand-page puzzle in front of me. The dogs are at their feet. Um, you know, they've been in the pool a lot. We're connecting. We're talking around the dinner table now. Um, I, I think this is the mm. reboot that most of our lives actually needed. It's unfortunate that we needed to have such trauma to realise that perhaps we all need to slow down and to reconnect with each other because that's the, that's the most basic um, human need, I reckon. I think perhaps we were getting ourselves a little bit too out of skew. So yeah, I agree with hopefully that. we'll stick around mm. for when we get rid of this awful virus. Then you've definitely seen on the weekend too, aren't you? You've seen parents out with the kids walking and, and just playing soccer yeah. or kicking the football. It's, um, yeah, it's really, really good. George, what, what, what are your thoughts? Is this... Rugby was in a bit of trouble, I think, leading into this pandemic. But is it is this time going to be good for rugby, or it could be the death of it? What do, what do you think? 
Yeah, it was definitely, it's not in a healthy state and it wasn't in a healthy state prior to obviously the pandemic with COVID-19. So it's going to be, it's, it's a reboot the game needs for sure. It's, it's like a lot of sports. They're all struggling without television rights, without, without actually content of playing and, and, and there's going to be repercussions of that because that's cash flow. That's how the business operates, doesn't it? In all the codes. So, um, but the double whammy for rugby is they, they don't have a broadcasting deal beyond this year. And, right. and that's that's the environment they're currently in. So there's no money coming in. They'll be discounted. Well, I'm not sure how much will be coming in this year because there's there's nothing to show through Tri Nations. Maybe once you get through this, and there might be some some matches or content test matches which can be televised, and that that will help for the for this year. But beyond that, there's nothing. Um, and mm. there's some yeah. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion around what that might look like. Um, beyond you know beyond july if they can afford to keep the game running and if that's the case then it's it's a total it's a total reboot of the of, of the game and there has to be um some changes made not just from like everyone's talking about the board and everything but changes in the game and the competitions just to make it more feasible yeah. you've got to think about super rugby's been played since 1996 they've adjusted it and changed it added teams um brought in from Japan, but that's that's closed off now after this season with Super Rugby, also Argentina, and there's just so much money is burnt with travel and logistics and and all that kind of stuff. So that competition actually, from a business model, isn't working. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think it's a, it's an interesting time, um, but it's not a healthy time. But sometimes it's it's through these moments where you make the the changes that are required and the, and the sport survives and gets through. And, and I'm always I'm always positive, and I hope that's the case with the game. But no, it's, it's certainly seen better days, mate. So, boys, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. It's been great having you both on the show. It's in the current climate where you know things are a bit tough and people are isolated at home. It's good to have a bit of a laugh and and shed a bit of light on the circumstance of today. But thank you once again for your time, and uh, we really really appreciate you coming on the show, Lunch with Lee. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to this week's guests, Gus Wallen and George Gregan. Thank you to Hilton Headley for washing my shirts and dry cleaning them beautifully. And thanks to our sponsors, The Gin Society and Spartan Sports. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Next week, we'll be chatting to Jeff Fennick, Greg Page and Steve Balby to discuss more music and sport and business on another episode of Lunch with Lee.